Now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Does bias occur naturally in all human beings, even when we make a genuine effort to treat others equally? And if so, how can we recognize our own biases? Here with the story, InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Our guest is Dr. Jennifer Eberhardt, professor of psychology at Stanford University and a recipient of a 2014 MacArthur Genius Grant. She's also one of the world's leading experts on racial bias and has written a book called Biased, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do. Let's start with some definitions. What is unconscious bias related to race and how does that differ from racism or bigotry? Unconscious bias is something that we are all vulnerable to, and in my book, I'm looking at the science behind it, and it can be defined as the beliefs and feelings we have about social groups that can influence our decision-making and our actions, even when we're not aware of it. Typically, when people think about bias, they're thinking about burning crosses and people filled with hate, but you don't have to be an old-fashioned racist to be biased. You don't have to be a bigot to be biased. You don't have to be a bad person. It's something that we're all susceptible to, and it's something that we can actually address. Another form that you write about is confirmation bias. Can you give us an example or two of what that is? Well, confirmation bias is really looking for what is consistent with what we already believe. So we're looking for confirmation for our prior beliefs. And once we find that confirmation, our beliefs get even stronger. And I think that this is becoming more of an issue now with technology and with social media. You know, it's easy to find people who are like-minded and agree with what you already believe. But now with social media, we can talk to those people and just really freeze out or completely ignore things that are out there that are inconsistent with our beliefs. And so that can lead to further polarization. Another form of bias that you write about is the Black Crime Association bias. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this is one of the strongest associations that exists in the country that is applied to African Americans. And so it's one that even children actually are aware of. And this is sort of tying black people to criminality. I opened the book actually with an observation of my son, who was five years old at the time on an airplane. And he sees the only black guy on the airplane and he looks up and he says, I hope he doesn't rob the plane. And he says this to me and I'm thinking, well, you know, what are you talking about? Why would you say that? And he looked at me with a sad face and he said, I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I was thinking that. Hmm. Um, So this is a five-year-old who already, you know, knows what's supposed to happen next. You work as a consultant for law enforcement. What have you learned in terms of working with them and seeing body cams and so forth? So we've done work with law enforcement basically using machine learning techniques to analyze body-worn camera footage. And we're analyzing that footage to see if we can understand how these interactions unfold across time and then to also be able to be in a position to understand where they go wrong and how they go wrong. So I have been looking at this footage with a team of linguists and social psychologists and computer scientists, and we've looked at about 1,000 stops in one of the studies, and we were very interested in looking at the role that the officer's language plays in these traffic stops. 
And we found that the officers were professional overall in how they spoke to drivers, but they were significantly more respectful to white drivers than to black drivers. And we have some early evidence suggesting that the way that these officers are talking at the very beginning of the stop can influence how the community member then responds later. And so there's a way in which the officer's language can kind of set the tone for the stop in ways that can lead to either escalation or de-escalation. So I would assume that you think that law enforcement needs to be much more proactive in terms of training for their officers regarding bias. Oh, yes. I think that's true in all different industries or sectors. You know, our teachers need training. We need training in our workplaces. That's training that's being welcomed now. I think a lot of departments want to figure out how to reduce tension with communities of color, especially. And I think that's a good thing. Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. Jennifer Eberhard, professor of psychology at Stanford University and one of the world's leading experts on racial bias. She's written a book called Biased, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do. I think a lot of people would be surprised at the wide-ranging economic effects of bias. Tell us about that. Yeah, it goes from everything from hiring to setting salaries to making promotions So it's affecting people in pretty big ways. There was a classic study done some years ago looking at how people make hiring decisions, and they sent out thousands of resumes to potential employers, and they would match the resumes on all the work history and everything, and so they would change the name on the resume to something that was stereotypically, you know, black, like LaShawn or Jamal, or they would have a resume that was more stereotypically white, like Greg, they sent out these resumes and found that there was a huge difference in the callback rates. So the resumes with the black-sounding names got 50% fewer callbacks than the resumes with the white-sounding names. We even see that with gender, so it's an issue. You mentioned the incident with your son on the airplane. What kind of advice would you offer to parents in talking to their kids about racial bias? Many parents think that the way to be a good parent is to not talk about race because you want your child to be colorblind and to, you know, not notice color and then they can't be affected by it. That's the idea behind it. But the research shows that when we teach children not to see color, they don't see discrimination either, even when that discrimination is blatant. So this idea of teaching our children not to see race so that we can have a better world and a world that is more equal, actually it's turning out to be just the opposite. In ourselves, any advice on steps we can take to recognize our biases as they happen? Yeah, there's a lot of work there. Just because we're vulnerable to bias doesn't mean we're completely overpowered by it. So we know what situations are going to lead to more bias than others. And so we know that bias is most likely to be triggered in situations where we're making split-second decisions or when we're feeling stressed or depleted or when we're not monitoring our own behavior across time and across different cases. And so we can combat bias by simply slowing down, relaxing, keeping tabs on our own behavior. So there are all these mitigation tools that we can use that are at our disposal to curb bias. And so that makes me hopeful, actually, about all of this. Dr. Jennifer Eberhard, professor of psychology at Stanford University and the author of Biased, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do. Dr. Eberhard, do you have a website? 
I do. It's jenniferebberhart.com. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.